Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My name is Lieutenant Max Phillips, but... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. My team knows me as Phantom. I lead a squad of Navy SEALs, trained to handle the most dangerous and volatile situations. We thought we'd seen it all. We were run. The call came in the middle of the night. An unknown terrorist group had seized control of a classified genetic laboratory. Their objective? Creating monstrous super soldiers with the stolen genetic tech. Our mission was to neutralize the threat and regain control of the lab. The insertion was smooth. We hit the perimeter hard and fast, gaining entry into the facility. But the interior was a nightmare. The once sterile lab was a macabre mix of high-tech equipment and monstrous creations. The super soldiers were nothing short of grotesque, a hideous blend of man and beast, each one stronger and more terrifying than the last. But we were seals. We adapted. We fought. As we pressed deeper into the facility, we began to uncover the horrifying truth behind the terrorist group's identity. Stashed documents, heavily encrypted files, and familiar insignias led us to an unthinkable conclusion. 
the group was not just any terrorists. They were a rogue unit of our own government, operating in the shadows, using American resources to create these abominations. The realization was a sucker punch, a bitter betrayal that fueled our resolve. We were fighting our own, and we had to stop them. The deeper we moved into the facility, the fiercer the resistance. Every corner held a new monstrosity, every hallway a gauntlet. But we pressed on, using every bit of our training and resolve to push through. We were fighting not just for ourselves, but for our country, for the world that these monsters threatened. In the heart of the lab, we found their command center, a hub of computers and machinery, and the rogue unit's leader. A face I knew. A face we all knew. He was our former commanding officer, a man we'd once trusted. His transformation into the enemy was the final, sharp sting of betrayal. The battle that ensued was a blur of gunfire, roars, and primal rage. But we prevailed, taking down the rogue unit and their monstrous creations. The aftermath was a haze. The lab was secured, the rogue unit neutralized. We had won, but the victory was bitter. We had been betrayed by our own, forced to fight against what we'd sworn to protect. As we were extracted, the facility going up in flames behind us, I looked at my team. We were bruised, battered, but unbroken. We had faced our fears, uncovered a horrifying truth, and emerged victorious. The rogue in its monstrous creations were no more, but the scars of their existence would remain with us forever. But we were seals. We would heal. We would learn. And we would be ready for whatever came next. Last summer, my boyfriend and I were camping in the Wachita Forest, off the Winona Scenic Route. We drove through a gorgeous spillway to a creek site where we had set up our camp and were laying in the hammock for the night. Next thing I know our dog is growling this deep growl I'd never heard her make so it caught my attention. I look in the direction she's growling in and I see this weird humanoid. Figure just casually walking in the woods about 10-20 feet away from us. It's a light gray, maybe white color, seven-ish feet tall, very skinny, and has an abnormally large head. Our dog barks and catches its attention. It stops for a good 20 seconds, looks at us, then carries on its way. Needless to say, we immediately packed everything up and left. We hadn't taken anything recreational that night, though I sort of wish we had now. I truly don't know what I saw, but I'm so curious if we were the only ones to see have ever seen anything like that in that area. In 1991, I had moved to the Oxford Hills region of Maine and began exploring the forest. I would kill a day exploring. Make your way to a stream or a snowmobile trail and find your way back to civilization. One day I got into an area that was pretty far off. I had to cross a waist-deep river and a couple of small creeks before coming upon this ridge leading up to a flat-topped hill covered with tall trees. My goal was to get atop and see if I could spot a way out better than how I got in. Atop the hill I saw something amongst the trees and thought my eyes were playing tricks on me. I walked right up to it. It was a 1980s school bus in pretty damn good condition. The trees boxing it in were forty or so feet tall birch trees. There were no obvious paths it could have driven on to get there. 
So, seeing it was less than 10 years old, I can only assume someone stole it when it was new and maybe a path and washed out in the years since. As an ex-park ranger turned soldier, I've seen my fair share of strange and terrifying things. But nothing could have prepared me for what I encountered during my tour in Afghanistan in 2019. When we first arrived at base, it was unlike anything I had ever seen. There was nothing but a barren wasteland, and the only thing to eat was this strange, bland food that seemed to have no nutritional value. But we were soldiers, and we were used to roughing it, so we didn't think much of it. One day, while on patrol through a local town, my squad and I were ordered to investigate a strange alley that had been reported by locals. As we made our way down the narrow passage, we heard a roar unlike anything I had ever heard before. My heart was pounding in my chest as we cautiously approached the end of the alley. And then we saw it. A creature that defied description. It was a massive, hawking thing covered in thick, matted fur. It had the body of an ape, but the face of something far more sinister. It let out a deafening roar and lunged at us, but we were quick to react. We unleashed a hail of bullets from our automatic rifles, and the creature fell to the ground, dead. As we approached the body to examine it, we were met with resistance from the locals. They were fiercely protective of the creature and wouldn't allow us to get too close. We were puzzled by their behavior, but we didn't want to cause any more trouble, so we left the creature where it lay and continued our patrol. But the memory of that creature stayed with me even after we returned to base. I couldn't shake the feeling that there was something off about it, something that didn't quite fit with what we knew about the world. I couldn't help but wonder what other strange and terrifying creatures might be lurking in the shadows of this mysterious country. As Sergeant James Odysseus Colton, leader of a Navy SEALs team, my life was defined by high-stakes missions and unimaginable pressure. But nothing could have prepared me for the horror that awaited us on a seemingly routine recovery operation in South America. Our mission was simple, recover a stolen artifact from a dangerous cartel. We infiltrated their compound, neutralized the threat, and retrieved the artifact, an ancient, green-tinted mirror with an intricate serpentine frame. Victorious, we began our return journey. It was then we realized the price of our mission. The mirror, when caught in the moonlight, awakened an ancient terror, the Gorgon. The monstrous creature, with her hair of writhing serpents and eyes that turned men to stone, emerged from the mirror's depths. Our fellow soldiers, caught by her gaze, were petrified instantly. Their screams echoed in my ears as they became stone statues. It was a sight that would haunt me forever. With our numbers dwindling, I rallied the remaining men. We face an enemy like no other, I said, my voice steady despite the terror gnawing at my insides. But we're seals. We adapt. We overcome. We fought the Gorgon with everything we had. Bullets ricocheted off her scaled body. Grenades did nothing. It was the mirror, I realized, the artifact. It was our only chance. With a daring plan in mind, I ordered my men to distract the Gorgon while I maneuvered myself behind her, the mirror clutched tightly in my hands. The Gorgon, focused on my team, didn't notice my approach. With a deep breath, I thrust the mirror in front of her. 
Caught in her own gaze, the gorgon stiffened. Her serpentine hair hissed and writhed before turning rigid. In moments, she was transformed into a monstrous stone statue. Our relief was short-lived as we took in the stone forms of our comrades. The victory was bitter, our losses too great. We had defeated the Gorgon, but at what cost? The artifact, we later discovered, had been part of a dangerous gambit by the cartel to unleash chaos and seize power amidst the confusion. Their plan backfired, but it was us who paid the price. As we left the battlefield, the stone forms of our brothers in arms a stark reminder of the cost of our duty, I made a vow. We would honor our fallen, and we would continue to fight, no matter what horrors we faced. We were the seals, and we would never back down. Went to Table Rock View Appalachian Trail, Dauphin, Pennsylvania yesterday with some friends. We wandered a bit off the trail to look at an interestingly shaped rock in me and another friend heard what sounded like a fox, but the noises were more like how an owl woo but a bit more high-pitched. So imagine if a fox screamed but more relaxed like an owl woo and it only happened three times then stopped. One of my other friends just randomly started talking about how people who hike around the Appalachian Trail report hearing noises like children crying or a woman screaming but it's a skinwalker trying to lure you further off the trail. I said, wait, didn't you just hear that? Kind of sounded like a high-pitched fox noise. That was when my one friend say, yeah, he heard it too, but my other friends didn't notice it. I was literally expecting to see someone, possibly younger kids, walk up the trail, but no one else ever came during that time. What do y'all think? I had always loved my job as a park ranger. I enjoyed the peace and quiet of the wilderness, the sound of the birds, and the fresh air. However, my most recent adventure in the woods had been anything but peaceful. It all started when I received a call about a group of campers who had gone missing in the woods. I immediately set out to search for them, knowing that the dense forest could be dangerous for those who didn't know the terrain. As I made my way through the woods, I noticed something unusual in the distance. It looked like a small town, but one that I had never seen before. I decided to investigate, hoping to find some clues as to where the missing campers might have gone. As I approached the town, I noticed that something was off. There were no signs of life, no movement, no sound. The town looked completely deserted. As I began to explore the town, I realized that it had been abandoned for years. The buildings were old and crumbling, the paint was faded, and the streets were overgrown with weeds. I wandered through the town, feeling a sense of unease. There was something about the place that made me feel like I was being watched. It was then that I heard a noise, a rustling in the bushes. I drew my weapon, ready for anything. But as I turned to face the source of the noise, I saw a group of campers emerging from the woods. Thank God we found you, one of them exclaimed. We've been lost in these woods for days. I breathed a sigh of relief, glad to have found the missing campers. But as I looked closer at their faces, I realized that something was wrong. They looked pale and frightened, as if they had seen something terrible. What happened to you? I asked. The campers hesitated before one of them spoke up. 
We stumbled upon this town, and we thought it was abandoned. But then we started to hear strange noises, and we saw things moving in the shadows. Something's hunting us, and it's getting closer with each passing moment. I knew that we had to leave the town immediately. We packed up our gear and set out, hoping to make it back to the safety of the park. As we made our way through the woods, I could feel the presence of something following us. It was like a predator stalking its prey, waiting for the right moment to strike. We tried to move quickly, but the woods were thick and the terrain was treacherous. We stumbled and fell, struggling to keep up our pace. And then we heard it, a growling sound that chilled us to the bone. We turned to face the noise and saw a creature emerging from the shadows. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was tall and muscular, with sharp claws and teeth, and a fur-covered body that glinted in the moonlight. The campers screamed and ran in terror, but I stood my ground. I raised my weapon, aiming for the creature's heart. But as I fired, I realized that it was too late. The creature had already pounced on me, its claws tearing through my flesh. I fell to the ground, feeling my life slipping away. The last thing I heard was the screams of the campers as they fled into the night. When I woke up, I was in a hospital bed. The doctors told me that I had been found by a search party, wandering through the woods in a state of delirium. In 2002, just two weeks before Christmas, I decided to go coyote hunting by myself. I was having trouble sleeping. No one knew I had left, as it's around 11.30 p.m. no cell phones of any kind. Bad idea. I started my trek as always, down a well-used trail, until I reached a steep section covered with multiflora rose bushes. However, I had previously cut a path and it wasn't hard to navigate, even in the snow that had been falling. I continued down the hill until reaching the large ravine that sits not too far behind my house. Then moving to my left, I went about another hundred yards or so to where the terrain plains out, and you can cross a shallow stream. I crossed the stream and proceeded to walk up the long, snow-covered hillside trail. After reaching the top, I went into action setting up all of my gear and finding a spot with a good backrest and nice firing lanes. My back rested against a large pile of crushed slate. My was shotgun leveled across my knees. I quietly sat there, getting colder and colder as more snow covered by the minute. After 45 minutes to an hour I decided to quit and pack everything up. This is when things got scary. I grabbed my red filtered 1ml candle power field spotlight. When I turned it on I saw it around 10 feet away, nose to the ground in my direction on all fours. The light coming on didn't even startle or phase the creature. It's like it knew right where I was and knew the light would be on it at any second. It then took a step toward me and lifted up onto two legs. It didn't creak or crack when standing up. The only noise that I could note was a low, deep-sounding pop in the ribs slash sternum area. It stretched out and puffed its chest as if it wasn't big enough. I would have to say that I was at least seven, eight feet tall, with five finger hands with two inches claws. This dogman slash cryptid canine never did open its mouth, so I can't comment on teeth. It took a step toward me as I had my shotgun already leveled. I fired a shot that hit it in the right mid-upper portion of its ribs. 
Mind you that hitting something this close with a .12 gauge shotgun usually causes a major hole, and nothing could walk away from it. I was using number two shot and the wad would have barely opened by the time it hit the creature. The shot let loose a mist of blood in the red-tinged light of the spotting lamp. It let out a loud yelp, then tucked its ears and ran to my right. It made it out of the light circle in two strides. I fired two more times at it but it was much too quick and I missed. I got up and started walking in the direction it ran, forgetting momentarily to reload my shotgun. I walked for about ten feet and found a large pool of blood, then walked a few more feet and found less blood. This process repeated until I was around thirty feet from where I initially started, and there's no blood to be, just footprints. It's as if this thing could quickly regenerate or something to heal itself of such a massive wound. I stopped and realized how stupid I was for going after this thing after it just got wounded. I didn't know if there may have been more of these creatures in the area or if they hunted in packs. I just thought I had encountered a real-life werewolf. I then trudged home in the night with a surely wounded God knows what potentially circling me the whole way as I go. I took my time getting back. It took me two hours to walk what normally took 20-30 minutes. I made it back home, went to bed and never spoke of that night again until 2019. I hardly hunt anymore due to health problems, but even if I was healthy, going back out there you would always be looking over your shoulder. However, I am working on getting a group of professional cryptid researchers to come take a look. I believe it was 2005. I was driving around at approximately 12.30 a.m. with three of my friends in my car. We stopped so my friend and I could relieve ourselves off of Canandaigua Road down a dirt driveway. I knew the driveway was there having seen it during the daytime. It was just a place where the town of Farmington, New York, Ontario County would dump old asphalt. I was on the driver's side of the car, my friend on the passenger side, and both of us looking in opposite directions. I saw something on the top of a small hill maybe 50 feet in front of me. I thought it was a tree initially, but it turned and started moving from my left to my right. It was very tall, at least 8 feet, maybe 10 feet. Extremely long arms that stretched down to their knees. It was gray or white in color and had somewhat of a small hit. The words that came to me were WTF is that. But before I could utter those words, my friend said, WTF is that. I turned to get back into the car which I left running but with headlights off and I saw another one in the direction he was facing. It was absolutely terrifying and if I had a gun with me, I wouldn't have done anything. But what I did was drive away as fast as possible. The other people in my car caught a glimpse of these creatures, but not as well as my friend Rob and I initially, I could only assume they were aliens. They did not look like a monkey or Bigfoot or anything like that. They had no fur or hair and were skinny and just very scary looking. I assumed they were very dangerous and of all the time I've spent outdoors, in the woods, and in rural or mountainous areas, I've never seen anything like those things. After that, I hadn't seen Rob in several years as we lost contact with each other. I ran into him at a gas station about eight years later, and the first thing he said to me was, Hey, do you remember when we saw those things out in the middle of nowhere? 
The memory to him was just the same as mine, and upon seeing me that was the first thing that popped into his mind, and mine as well. Recently, speaking to a friend of mine who has a lot of interest in supernatural and paranormal things, I told her the story and she suggested that they were skinwalkers. She found some pictures that were animated of what they might look like. I definitely think that is what we had seen out there that night. I would absolutely love some insight into what these things are and why they may have been there. It does terrify me to think they had some kind of ominous purpose or could have been dangerous, but I'd still love to know. Thanks for taking the time to get back to me and read this. I will attach the picture my friend Bailey sent me, which is a very good depiction of what I saw. Also, I will send the exact location of where this encounter occurred. Thank you very much. My girlfriend and I... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And we're staying in a pop-up camper as campground hosts at Cascadia State Park in Cascadia, Oregon, about 13 miles east of Sweet Home, Oregon, during the summer of 2003. I had played some Bigfoot recordings approximately 20 minutes before getting into bed. Shortly after laying down, sound started coming from the woods directly behind the camper. It sounded like a buck snorting, but much louder. Limbs were being broken continuously. My girlfriend and I were scared and I would not get up to go and see what was going on. The sound subsided within about five minutes. One week later, I played the sounds again through my computer speakers and the same experience happened. This time it sounded as though there was a landslide as well. The next morning, one of the campers told the ranger about hearing some strange noises and something that sounded like a landslide. My girlfriend and I never smelled anything out of the ordinary. We just heard loud snorting sounds and limbs or trees being broken. Whatever it was, it sounded mad. I promise that this took place back in the summer of 2003, and I am not saying for sure it was a Bigfoot or Sasquatch. I honestly do not know what it was, but I do know that I was too scared to do any investigating at the time. My girlfriend and I went into the woods the following day, but we could not find any tracks. I grew up about 18 miles from Fat, Arcasas, where a Bigfoot creature has been reportedly been seen. I am currently living in Atlanta, Texas, which is about 30 miles from Caddo Lake where you recently filmed a Mysterious Encounters episode. I just wanted to share this information about what I experienced during the summer of 2003 with you. I am a young Native American man living on a reservation. I have always felt a strong connection to the natural world but I never imagined that my family had a secret connection to Sasquatch. It all started when my grandfather passed away and my father inherited his journal. In it, my grandfather wrote about a time when he encountered a Sasquatch deep in the forest. 
He described it as a peaceful creature, one that seemed to understand the connection between all living things. My father was skeptical at first, but then strange things started happening. Our family began to hear strange howls and screams coming from the forest at night, and we found footprints that were far too large to belong to any human. At first, we were afraid, but then my father remembered my grandfather's journal and began to suspect that we might have a connection to the Sasquatch. We decided to investigate further, and my father took me deep into the forest to a place that he had only visited once before. There, we found an ancient cave covered in mysterious symbols and carvings. My father explained that this was a sacred place and that it was believed to be a portal between our world and the spirit world. As we explored the cave, we felt a strange energy around us. It was then that we heard a low growl and we turned to see a massive Sasquatch standing before us. My father calmly spoke to the creature, explaining who we were and why we had come. To our surprise, the Sasquatch seemed to understand us, and it allowed us to leave the cave unharmed. We realized then that we had a special connection to these creatures, and that we needed to protect them from those who would seek to harm them. Since that day, we have worked to protect the Sasquatch in their habitat from those who would seek to exploit them. We have also embraced our heritage and the connection we share with all living things, and we hope to pass this knowledge on to future generations. Our connection to the Sasquatch has become a source of pride for our family, and we will continue to work to protect them for as long as we live. I should start by saying that I couldn't be sure this wasn't a bear, but it was much bigger than the other bears I've seen. I was exploring the dirt roads off of Hillockburn Road, FS Road 45 trying to find a route to Malala that was still open. I was riding a motorcycle KLR 650 and came upon a long straight and saw what I assumed to be a very large bear in the road. I'm an accomplished backpacker, adventure motorcyclist, and general outdoors person. I know that large bears are unusual this close to civilization, and that certainly any bears you might encounter are black bears. I'd encountered black bears several times in Oregon. While backpacking, and know what they look like. My first reaction was to slam on the brakes. The thing was probably 300 yards away, but very large. As soon as I stopped, the thing stood up on two legs and walked away directly sideways off the road and into the brush. I know bears don't walk for on two legs, especially when making an escape, so that seemed out of place. I rode up to the where the thing had been and saw it had been feeding or checking out a dead deer in the road that I hadn't noticed. The odd thing is that this is in the middle of nowhere relatively speaking. I've not seen another car up here once you leave the main road. And the odds of a car or truck being up here and hitting a deer is practically zero, but the deer had been dead for some time and was black and rotting. I realized that I'm sitting next to Carrion and had just seen either a bear or something more threatening eating it, and rode away quickly to continue my exploring. The only other thing to point out is that the deer wasn't there when I rode back out. This is an area that saw a lot of logging in the 70 seconds and 80 seconds, but is relatively unused now. Most roads are gated but that doesn't stop a motorcyclist, and generally the forest is young with small sections of old growth. 
Where I made this sighting, there was bigger trees by the side of road concealing an old logging project about 25 feet off the road. Haven't told many people about this, as I didn't want to seem crazy. I've since heard that there have been a number of sightings near Colton, which was the next closest town besides Estacada. The world had always been a place of order for me, Captain John Nighthawk Rogers, Navy SEAL team leader. That order shattered the day monstrous beasts began attacking major U.S. naval bases. My squad and I were at Norfolk Naval Base when the first attack occurred. The beast, its body a grotesque mix of scales and claws, tore through our defenses. It was unlike anything we'd ever seen, a nightmare brought to life. The coordinated attacks didn't stop there. Reports poured in from bases across the country, each detailing similar horrifying encounters. An unknown terrorist group was behind this, using the beasts as their weapons. We're SEALs, I told my squad, my voice steady despite the carnage around us. Our nation needs us. We're going to stop these beasts and bring those responsible to justice. Our mission at two parts, neutralize the threats and discover their origin. We dispatched teams to each affected base, while a group of us, including myself, started investigating the monsters. Battles raged across the country as we tried to neutralize the monstrous threats. The beasts were tough, with skin that deflected bullets and strength that outmatched our best trained soldiers. But we were SEALs, we adapted, we overcame. Meanwhile, our investigation led us to a chilling discovery. These weren't natural creatures, they were bioengineered, a perversion of nature created in a lab. Piecing together intelligence, we located the terrorist group's headquarters, a compound hidden deep in the mountains. As we infiltrated, we discovered the horrifying truth. The terrorists had found a way to control the monsters, using them as pawns in their twisted game. With this knowledge, we devised a daring plan to sever the control the terrorists had over the beasts. A fierce battle ensued, the echoes of gunfire and roars of monsters filling the night air. It was chaos, but in the chaos, we found our opportunity. We severed the control link, causing the beasts to become disoriented and giving us the upper hand. The battle was won, but the war was far from over. The terrorists were unmasked, their monstrous weapons neutralized, but the scars they left were deep. As we stood amidst the rubble of what was once a symbol of our nation's strength, we knew our job was only just beginning. The world was a different place now, a place where monsters could be real. But as long as there were threats to our nation, there would be people ready to stand against them. We were the Navy SEALs, and we would face whatever came next. When I was around 17, 18, and now 23, probably about a year or so before I had symptoms show up, I worked at a cinema which is notoriously haunted. People quit their jobs from seeing things, multiple people I know claim to have heard unexplainable voices, laughs, cries, doors locking being knocked on when no one's around, that sort of thing. I was working on the food counter and a guy in a wheelchair came in and said look after your body kid in an extremely haunting fashion. Me being an immature drug enthusiast laughed it off and he'll never forget the look he gave me when I giggled at what he said. It's almost like I can still see his face and hear how he said it, 
avid sleep paralysis with the guy's face staring back at me, creepy yes. But the funny thing is shortly after this is when I started experiencing crazy health symptoms. Loss of control over my bowels, bladder, pain in legs, arms, etc. I clearly didn't listen to his advice, smoking, drinking, doing pills, sniffing anything that can be sniffed, basically just abusing my body to a high extent. I can't help but think this guy was some kind of messenger, something warning me about the path I was about to go down. So fast forward to today, am not well at all and it all feels like I've just ignored the signs that were put before me. I've never really been to into the whole God stuff but I've always left a space for the thought of something bigger than me. But recently I've started praying before I go to sleep, just asking for insurance with my health etc hoping for the best kind of thing. I've always had an overactive imagination. I used to think I could astral project and always had crazy lucid dreams. But in the past few days I feel like when I close my eyes all I can see is crazy dark shit, almost like demons and dark shit going on. But last night I had these visions where two people were dressed in like robes and one of them offered me a hand, which I took. One of them then continued to dig into my chest and seemingly remove the pain in my chest, and then held their hand up almost bringing attention to their five fingers. I don't know what this means and it kinda scares me as to what it could. I guess what I'm here saying is, you guys just think I'm nuts. Anyone had any similar risk going on in their life? Is it time to fully accept God into my life? F knows, let me know what you think. My son and I were in the Detroit area in the fall of 2000 October. We heard what we thought was a high-pitched scream coming out of the creek bottom. We heard the sound twice, once very close just about 300 yard downhill from us. Then again from farther off and to the right in an area of big timber. The sound left an impression on the two of us. We have hunted and fished all over Oregon but the sound is like nothing I have ever in my life. Heard. It was as if you could hear it in your head after the sound had stopped. The area is southwest of Detroit on the south shore. Would very much like to hear other recorded sounds but little unsure. Maybe a little freaky hearing the same sound recorded by other people. Have been interested in Bigfoot since was a kid but the sound we heard is like nothing we've ever heard. I am living very rural, in a small village with maybe 10 minus 15 houses, but close to the highway you can drive there within maybe 5 minutes, and also about 10 minutes away from the town. If you cross the street, it just takes you about 10 minute walk to reach the forest. First Christmas Day. In the afternoon, my partner and I decided to go for a little digestive walk, as we were really stuffed from all the food. It was about 17 and already dark when we left and we had a big and bright LED flashlight with us. I also took my camera and my flash, as I love taking pictures of nature at night. We decided to walk on a little country road towards the forest, and then turn right, following a small graveled cycle track close to the forest border, which connects our village in the next maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes walk between villages. In the middle part of the track, you have to walk through a small bit of forest. It's rather dark and the trees are very high and quite dense. 
When we entered, I saw our flashlight reflecting on something and recognized a car being parked there on the side of the track, close to the trees. This struck me as odd, as cars are not allowed to drive there, and the path is very narrow and hidden, so I was a bit cautious. My partner pointed the light inside of the car and it seemed to be empty. I also noticed the windows were frozen, so it must have been parking there for a while. A bit in front of the car I spotted a tree with an intriguing structure and I asked my partner to point the flashlight towards it so I could focus better and photograph it with my flash. After I took a few images, my partner told me, um, there is someone standing behind us in the middle of the road. He is looking at us. Nobody was following us the whole way. I kept looking around and behind us occasionally, because at this time in the evening and close to the border of the forest there are boars sometimes in its mating season, so they are more aggressive than usual. Indeed there was a man standing behind us, staying out of the flashlight's reach. He wasn't saying anything, just standing there and facing us. At first, I thought he might be startled, as it may seem a bit weird if someone's just taking photos around your car it was not even legal to drive on that path with the car. I decided to get up and confront him from a distance, explaining to him that I was just taking photos of that tree. He didn't react and still just stood there. I then went on to ask him if he needed some light, and he replied that this wasn't necessary. It was odd, but I was still calm, sure about there being a normal explanation for his behavior. Nonetheless, my partner and I decided to just get the F out and followed the path leading to the next village. It was maybe five to seven minutes until we reached it. I remembered the letters on his license plate, not the numbers though, unfortunately, and googled it, and it turned out that he was from a city about six H away from our village. Mind you, the country I live in is in a very strict lockdown right now, so you are only allowed to travel even by car if you have very urgent reasons. After we reached the first lantern of the next village, we looked back and observed the car driving a bit out of the forest, turning around, and going back inside. I was able to see that he parked there again and turned the lights off, he didn't leave the forest. We then went home on a much longer way than initially intended, as I didn't want to go back there for obvious reasons. Our flashlight battery died on the way, and my phone battery was low, so I didn't want to call the police back then. But I called them as soon as I arrived home and gave them all the details big regret that I didn't memorize the whole license plate. But it was just so surprising that I seriously didn't think about it. Also, it only occurred to me as really strange when I thought about the frozen windows and that he could impossibly have walked behind us, plus him having no light and not responding. He did seem to be sneaking up on us when I sat down to take the photo. I think I was very lucky to have my partner, the camera, in the bright light with me. I don't want to imagine what could have happened if I was alone. So, creepy guy sneaking around in the forest, let's not meet. Edit. When I told my housemate, she theorized that he may have been spying on the houses very close to the forest border. As you can easily look into their backyards without being seen, you have to walk a bit up the hill. And further, about five minutes. I think it's likely. I had the thought of photographing the car when I entered the forest part of the path, but somehow I felt unwell about it and decided to not do it, despite it being an interesting scene. In hindsight, I believe this saved me as he must have hidden behind the trees close to the car and forest entrance. 
If he was really planning a burglary or worse dumping a body, I think it's not unlikely he may have attacked me if he realized I had a potential photo of his car with a recognizable license plate. This is a Bigfoot encounter told to me by my grandfather. It happened in the early fall of 1938. He and his friends did a backpacking trip to a small remote lake near Mount St. Helens. They did this annually. One year they even summited the volcano during their yearly camping trip. This particular year there were five of them. The hike-in took a couple of days back then. There weren't as many dirt roads built as there are now. They chose late summer and early fall when the berries were in season, and the fish were usually biting well because they did not want to pack much food. It helped to lighten the load of their heavy backpacks. My grandfather was a little over 20 years old during this backpacking trip. After the two-day hike to the lake, they set up camp and decided the next morning that my grandfather and another guy would try to catch some fish. The other three young men would go collect berries. The next morning they did just that. My grandfather walked to the far side of the lake and his friend was on the side nearer to camp. The fish were biting and he had caught a few when all of a sudden he started to feel uneasy as if he were being watched. The hair on the back of his neck seemed to stand on end and then he got a whiff of a foul rotting stench. He started to look around and directly behind him only 20 to 30 feet away were three giant human-like creatures covered in dark brown hair from head to toe standing at the tree line. My grandfather was a large man around six feet four and the smallest of the three creatures was just as tall as him. However, it was much wider at the shoulders and much thicker. According to what he was looking at, the next creature was a foot taller and then the third was even a foot taller than that one, putting each of them at six feet or better. The next one was over seven feet and the other one was over eight feet tall. He was overwhelmed with adrenaline from fear and panic. He wanted to run, however, these three giants staring at him were blocking the only direction that he could run. The only way he could get away would be to leap into the lake and swim. He decided his best option was to calm down and keep doing what he was doing. He cast in his line and began to fish again. Shortly after that, he caught another nice trout, and while reeling it in it dawned on him that these creatures may be here for his fish. He unhooked the trout and tossed it to them. The smallest of the three stepped away from the tree line and retrieved the trout and brought it back to the other two. So he continued to toss fish to them. The smaller the three Bigfoot continued to retrieve the trout. After a while, he landed a really nice fourth trout. He went to toss it back to them, but they were gone. He then grabbed his equipment and ran around the lake in the direction of the other friend. After finding him, he said that they need to get the hell out of there and began to tell him what happened as they headed back to camp. When they got to camp, the other friends were already there picking up camp gear and in a hurry. They stated that they ran across three giant hairy creatures while out berry hunting. It took the group only a day to hike back out downhill. They did not know what they had encountered. They had never heard of anything like that in the 1930s since the term Bigfoot had not been known. After the trip, they never went back to Mount St. Helens. They changed the location of their yearly backpacking trip. My grandfather stated it wasn't until the 1967 Patterson, 
or Gimlin Bigfoot film was shown in theaters across the nation that he finally had a name for the three giant creatures he had a close encounter with. 